If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Coming up on Studos America, the Supreme Court is taking up the issue of affirmative action. So hopefully we'll see some common sense rulings coming out on that issue. I'll talk to author Kenny Hsu. We'll look at Joe Biden's son of a bitch gate because that's totally not a distraction from his other massive failures, right? And Bill Maher continues to say what we're all thinking, which is a bizarre thing for me to utter, and it leads to an interesting observation about the ways COVID-19 has split the country. Let's take a look, as we do, to COVID Americas. Stu does America. Ah, was former presidential candidate John Edwards, who first told us about the two Americas, and then he cheated on his cancer-stricken wife. It's a sad sort of tale uh, where we have two Americas. And honestly, when he said that, I thought, that's just ridiculous. We don't have two Americas. And his idea was, oh, the e- evil rich people and the, e- and the poor people are being victimized. And of course, there are rich people and poor people, but I've always thought we were one country. The Democrats seem to be intent on splitting us into two nations, whether it's based on race or gender or uh, wealth or a myriad of different uh, things. And I don't like that at all. I, I, I like the United States of America. I think it's a good idea. Uh, but there really is an issue here as we are creating two separate countries inside of one. And I want to go into that today. Let me start here and talk about the Omicron wave for a second. Omicron, it looks like we have passed the, uh, the peak of cases and now hospitalizations as well for the country. Still a lot going on out there. Probably a lot of people you know are still getting sick. It's still kind of a bummer here and probably will be for the next few weeks. But it does appear that this wave will not be nearly as um, uh, damaging as far as uh, deaths as uh, previous waves and also does seem like we're on the right side of it. So we'll see how that goes going forward. Uh, CDC released uh, its, and I want to go through this with I have a very specific reason I'm going through this part of the data. So let me get through it. Uh, Listen to this data, check it out. And then I want to explain exactly why I'm going through it. Uh, The CDC just released their updated, not as updated as I I would like, of course, but updated data uh, based on vaccination status. And here's what it shows. There's a, uh, as we talked about earlier, uh, the Omicron wave does seem to cut through vaccines at a better rate uh, than the previous variants. Uh, however, unvaccinated people are still uh, tw- about twice as likely as uh, fully vaccinated people to get COVID, at least as uh, in mid-Omicron state. Now that is, uh, I should point out, it used to be about four times or five times as high. So that has come down to two times as high. However, there's still an advantage for vaccinated people there. In death uh, count, uh, and it's hard to tell with these numbers because they're so tiny for fully vaccinated people and honestly pretty small for unvaccinated people as well, but the rate currently is about 20 times as high. Now that is uh, for unvaccinated people as far as death goes. Now that is um, higher than it was previously, but the numbers on the unvaccinated side are so incredibly low at this point. You know, a a couple 
thousandths of a, of a decimal point wind up changing that ratio that I don't even know if it's necessarily notable to go from 14 to 20 times as high. The bottom line is those uh, those numbers seem to be holding up. And again, I'm going through this for a reason. Let me close this with a quote from the New York Times on this data and many other sets of data. The available evidence suggests Omicron is less threatening to a vaccinated person than a normal flu. Now, typically what happens at this moment when we're talking about conservative media is that people will push back and say, well, I don't believe that data or here's another data set that shows other things. Here's what I would propose to you. Stop trying to convince them that things are more dangerous than they are. Uh, If they think that it's not dangerous, these are their numbers. There is absolutely no justification for them to put more restrictions on blue states or anywhere else. Convincing them that things might be worse than we thought is not a path to getting these things removed. Let the, who cares if you believe it? What you believe, and I think they're very clear on this, what you believe doesn't matter to them. So let them believe that everything is hunky-dory and going perfectly, and then, you know what? They have no justification whatsoever. And the funny thing is, this is what they believe. This is what their science shows them, that Omicron is not at all uh, damaging compared to even the flu if you're vaccinated. That's a big deal, maybe not to you, but it is to them. And we're seeing this now cut in to this normal state of affairs we've had for the last two years. At some point, you know, we had the first few weeks where everyone was like, what the hell's going on? And then we kind of split into our camps whenever that was. I don't know. wasn't too much longer after the 15 days uh, to slow the spread where conservatives basically said, look, this might be bad. There might be some big problems with it. But we also have other things to consider, like children's health and the economy and so many other things. Let's get back to work. Let people assess their own risk. That side kind of came out on the right. And then the left went into lockdown mode. And there was a time in which that dynamic was really the dynamic where the right said, open it up, and the left said, close it down, and there was a real split. That split is eroding in a big way, and guess what, guys? It's eroding in your favor. It's, a, it's, it's eroding in the favor of conservatives who th- said the entire time, look, we want this thing to be open, we'll let us assess our own risk. We're not alone there anymore, and we need to adjust the way we think about this if we want to move ahead and get all of this nonsense out of our lives. Let me start with Bill Maher. Maher has famously kind of been Uh, an oddball on the left for a while on this, but he's really, really being more pronounced today. This is an interview he did with uh, Deadline. Deadline asked, so I wanted to ask you, looking back now, what does 20 seasons of real time feel like to you? And he says, I'm over COVID, which really doesn't answer the question in any way whatsoever. Uh, Deadline asked, really? And he said, I was never scared of it. I was always scared of the reaction to it. And this has played out uh, that has only proved to be more true for me. I'm sure many people feel different, but that's me. I've never felt, uh, it was never that virulent a threat, I thought, to people who were in good health. And of course, that's something that conservatives have highlighted since, you know, day one. When we were looking at Wuhan and, and Northern Italy, we were saying, wait a minute, it looks like all the people there who are dying are old or, or previously infirmed. Is there a strategy we can build to take advantage of that blessing that kids aren't being affected by this in a major way? But that was just not the way it was going to be allowed to go. On Bill Maher's show, he had Barry Weiss on. She's a form, she was former uh, New York Times. Uh, she has a podcast now called Honestly. She has a very popular uh, Substack as well. And she's been a, a voice of reason on a lot of this stuff. But she started in a totally different position. Watch. 
so many of my liberal and progressive friends are with me on this, and they do not want to say it out loud because they are scared to be called anti-vax or to be called science denial or to be, you know, smeared as a trumper. I'm sorry, if you believe the science, you will look at the data that we did not have two years ago, and you will find out that cloth masks do not do anything. You will realize that you can show your vaccine passport at a restaurant and still be asymptomatic and carrying Omicron. And you will realize, most importantly, that this is going to be remembered by the younger generation as a catastrophic moral crime. The city of Flint, Michigan, which is 80%, I think, minority students, has just announced indefinite virtual schooling. In the past two years, we've seen among young girls a 51% increase in self-harm. People are killing themselves. They are anxious. They are depressed. They are lonely. That is why we need to end it more than any inconvenience that it's been to the rest of us. I think it's, it's a pandemic. It's, it's like at this point, it's a pandemic of bureaucracy. It's an amazing clip because you know, a, I mean, she makes a lot of great points in there. But the focus of her points, the thing that she says is the biggest reason to end this is things like stopping self-harm and, and making sure education is better and, and making sure that, I don't know, uh, the results of ripping apart a civilization midstream uh, are, are at least um, mini- miniaturized a little bit. I mean, that's all I guess you could do at this point. We've already gone through two years of this. Um, Bill Maher came out. He made some uh, jokes in his monologue about this, but th- these are jokes based on stuff he actually believes. Watch. Two years in, if you're one of those people who didn't get it at all, and he, and, well, you must be, you must be very diligent, very careful, and you have no friends. <laughs> would be my guess. No. <laughs> now, this, it's just gone on too long. Nobody cares anymore. The, last night, the Grubhub delivery guy was eating my French fries right in front of me. I mean, it, <laughs> too long. <laughs> People want to know when I can when can I get back to not going to the gym? <laughs> it's ridiculous, you know. You, I don't want to live in your paranoid world anymore. Your masked paranoid world. You know, you go out. It's silly now. You know, you have your mask. You have to have a card. You have to have a booster. They scan your head. Like you're a cashier and I'm a bunch of bananas. <laughs> I'm not bananas. You are. <laughs> uh, it's funny. Uh, I have been able to uh, get back to not going to the gym for a very long time here in Texas. Um, and you watch this, this whole situation and you realize these, this is the two Americas right now. They have split this country into one section of the nation which is living its life as normal as America was meant to be. And the other section of the country was living as victims. We're constantly under the thumb of the government who tells you how sick you can be and what, what steps you need to take to walk into a freaking restaurant to buy a cookie. This is just completely insane and it's totally unfair to people who are just being overwhelmed by, in almost every case, by the way, not by laws, but by executive orders put in during emergency times and never changed or lifted. Things that the governor's just doing, the mayor is just doing to the people. 
Now, you can have an argument in week one that you need an executive order to, to push in some emergency thing. Two years in, why is, why is this still happening this way? Why are people not voting on these things anymore? They never got to the period in which legislatures actually voted these things in because they don't want responsibility for them. And so now you have half the country who is living a life that I am completely unfamiliar with. I mean, it's bonkers. We have people who, who, friends of mine who go back and forth from the north and the south, who who go up there and just don't even recognize the nation as compared to how it is down here. You walk, you can't go into restaurants. You have to prove uh, some sort of uh, viability test to walk into a fast food joint. It's insanity. And it's been, we're way past the time where it was even partially justifiable. I again tell you, we, we have treatments. We have different things that you can do. It is at a lower risk than the normal flu. And we don't shut down civilization over the normal flu. There was a time in which they were throwing people off the internet for what the New York Times is putting in their paper. Things have changed. This dynamic has changed. But it hasn't changed with so many in the media, people who are nuts, people who are insane. Like, let me give you an example, Whoopi Goldberg. That's not really funny to people who've lost their kids no. to no. this vaccine or people who've lost family members or dear friends to this. It's, it's just, you know, listen, nobody on the planet really wants to go through this. This is not something we're doing because it's, you know, sexually gratifying. This is what we're mm. doing to protect our families. And you don't have to do it, but stay away from everybody. Because if you're the one who's not paying attention and you're coughing and sneezing, you don't want to, then stay out of the public, man. This is not, nobody wants this. I don't want it. And I think he's forgetting that people are still at risk who cannot get vaccinated. People who can't get, the, little kids under the age of five. Yeah. Or people with health conditions. How dare you be so flippant, man? They're, they're still, like, people, they gotta, they're over it. Like, yeah. like a relationship. I'm yeah. over it. I don't feel like don't seeing him anymore. The pictures of health from The View telling you how to be healthy. Uh, you know, it's, it's completely insane. I mean, the reason why you don't worry about kids not being vaccinated is because kids are, generally speaking, not affected by this in any way. They're affected by other things much more often. I mean, uh, this is not... A 65-year-old is a totally different argument. A 5-year-old, a 4-year-old, there's almost no risk to anyone in that age group. We obviously understand that things can go wrong for, for people here and there, and you don't want that to happen. You don't make rules based on uh, the, the way that they're talking. You're saying that the very small percentage of people who are freaked out about every twist and turn of every little virus, uh, those people are the ones that have to uh, be protected from everybody else? How about you stay home if you're so worried about it? What do you mean they should stay home? You should stay home. As if you have the vaccine, which I'm sure she does, she's probably quintuple vaxxed at this point. If you're in that area, as the New York Times says, there's basically no risk here. The risk is so low, it barely moves off the bottom of the chart. It almost can't be seen. That's how low the risk is. This is not 2020 in March. This is not April. It's not May. We are in a different time period and these arguments have changed and they have not updated their thinking from minute one. From minute one, before we were 100 percent sure that this didn't affect children, they're still spouting the same nonsense from that period. This is crazy. 
Let me give you another example. Here's dopey Don Lemon with his dramatic read of how you should think of the comments from Bill Maher. Barry, that was messed up. And Bill Maher. Because, look, we were all sick of cancer when my dad died of it. But that didn't change the fact that he suffered from it and died. I was sick of COVID when my my dear friend Robbie Brown died of it. He did not not die of it because I was sick of it. Uh, That's so irresponsible. Maybe you're trying to say, I don't know what you're trying to say. I can't make excuses for you. I heard what I heard. Everybody heard what they heard to her and Bill. Just because you're tired of it, tired of sitting at home. A lot of people are tired of sitting at home. And a lot of people are tired of going to work every day and having to deal with sick people because people won't get vaccinated. Maybe you guys did. I think Barry said she did. Bill did. (laughs) But just because you did it doesn't mean that everybody else did it. And that's why the thing continues to go on, because everybody else is not doing it because of irresponsible talk like that. Too many people have made this about politics, about bogus claims of freedom. I mean, that's one of the dumbest pieces of commentary I've ever seen. First of all, Barry Weiss was very specific. It wasn't because she she was worried about staying home. She's worried about the effects on children, among other things. Uh, And again, if you're vaccinated, you don't have to worry about anyone else. That's what all the data shows. You don't have to worry about the people you don't like who wear red hats and didn't get vaccinated. You don't have to worry about them. And you know what? This would still be going on if everyone in this country was vaccinated. You know how I know that? Because, first of all, it doesn't prevent every case as we just went over. But beyond that, there are the third world is currently eight percent vaccinated. There are literally billions of people on this earth that are not vaccinated. So even if they work perfectly, there'd still be plenty of this stuff going around. It's just insanity. And because of the idiotic amounts of commentary like you just saw, people have no idea. They don't know the the most basic things about what is going on when it comes to COVID. Let me give you a couple examples of this. Who is the most worried about getting sick from COVID? Young people. 23% of those 18 to 34 are very concerned of getting sick from COVID within the next year. The lowest amount are older people at 17%. How about uh, uh, Democratic and Republican splits? You see that Democrats and Republicans are both equally concerned with their child falling behind because of remote learning. They're also about equally concerned about their children missing out on socialization because of remote learning. This is something that goes across party lines. People care about their kids and what's happening to them. That's what Barry Weiss was talking about, not about whether she can stay home or go to the movies. How worried you are you about getting sick from COVID-19 in the next year? Unvaccinated, only 14%. Uh, people who are vaccinated at 22%. People who are vaccinated are more worried about getting sick from COVID-19 than people who are unvaccinated. Why is that? Seems to be that your coverage is playing into that a little bit. And finally, look at this. This is uh, as we deal with uh, Omicron, I am going to make changes to my normal activity. Democrats say 65 percent are changing their life. Republicans only 30 percent. And it's reversed when it comes to control, uh, continuing my normal activity as much as possible. Those numbers, though, have moved quite a bit. 
and they're coming together in the middle. Uh, if there's any uh, anything that should encourage you, it's looking at polls like that and seeing that it's not 100 to zero Democrat and Republican. They're about 35 points off, but that's narrowing. And when it comes to concerns over children, those are basically equal numbers. People are seeing that these policies, these lockdown policies do have a cost and the cost is pretty significant. Even if you think that it might help in some health uh, way, there are ways to deal with that. You can handle that on your own. You can stay home. You can avoid movie theaters. You can avoid these things. You can have your kid in remote learning if that's what you choose. However, to stop everyone else from doing it is just you being selfish. It's just you making decisions for everyone else. It's one thing when you have an out-of-control pandemic with no treatments. That's not where we are now. This is not March 2020 anymore. Stop acting like it is. Let me tell you a little bit about Moink Box. Uh, Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon directly to your door. Now, uh, you know, this isn't necessarily um, something that you might think uh, is at the top of your line. I can just go to the grocery store and get something. You're not going to get stuff like Moink Meat. Moink Meats uh, delivers the best meats on the market right to your door. Um, this is, uh, so we actually, for um, Christmas, it was like 80 degrees here in Texas, uh, Christmas Day. And we had uh, a meal at our house. And instead of doing like a, the typical inside meal, we had everyone else, we were grilling out Moink Meats. <laughs> um, now, that is something the entire family loved it. Steaks and everything else. It was, a, it was a big spread and it was a great time and it was the best meat you can buy. Uh, and you can get it at moinkbox.com stew. You'll get a year of filet mignon for free. A year of filet mignon for free, huh? And then you're going to pick uh, whatever other meats you want delivered with your first box. It's a great deal. You can change what you get each month if you'd like. You can cancel any time. If you love meat, this is the way to go. Join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com stew. Right now, you'll get free filet mignon for a year. One year of the best filet mignon you'll ever taste, plus a, uh, a bunch of other stuff. It's, it's just, a, I mean, you're just going to love whatever you order in your Moink box. It's M-O-I-N-K box.com slash stew. Moinkbox.com slash stew. I'm happy to welcome Kenny Shu back to the program. He is the president of Color Us United and the author of An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. Kenny, how's it going? Hey, it's great to be back. Thanks, Stu. Yeah, I appreciate you coming back on. I mean, the fight for meritocracy seems to be taking positive steps for once. Uh, absolutely. The Supreme Court finally accepted the Harvard discrimination case, which, by the way, is going to be the linchpin case affecting wokeness in America today. You know, wokeness believes that um, we need to look at race. We need to evaluate people based on race. And that's what exactly what Harvard does. They evaluate Asian Americans as lower personalities than people of other races, despite the fact that they get higher academic and extracurricular credentials. Um, so this is, this is a case that's going before the Supreme Court um, that is going to challenge the very foundation of Harvard's race, uh, racial philosophy. Uh, let's get into the case here specifically, specifically for a second, and I want to talk about its sort of larger ramifications after this. But this is a case where uh, Asian Americans are noticing um, all sorts of disparities as to how 
their performance relates to their level of admittance into these uh, colleges. And I believe these two are Harvard and North Carolina. Is that right? Yeah, Harvard and UNC. So what, what, what does the data actually show here? So the data shows, and this is particularly egregious for Harvard, but it's also there with the UNC admissions too. It's really all over the Ivy Leagues. The data shows that Asian Americans have to score 440 points higher in the SAT to have the same chance of admission as a black person and 150 points higher to have the same chance of admission as a white person. Uh, That's jaw-dropping. 440 points against African Americans, 150 points against white people just to get the equal treatment. Just to get the exact same chances of admission, yes. This is absolutely incredible. And of course, you know, the, 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 what we hear all the time when it comes to racial disparity is that, um, you know, that whites get all the advantages, uh, that uh, they uh, are against, against African Americans. But very rarely has this side been talked about until very recent. And your book and a few others have been talking about it. But like this, I think, shines a different light on this problem uh, where, you know, if a white you know, conservative talk show host is sitting here and saying, like, look, we shouldn't have racial disparities because I don't know, we shouldn't be judging people based on skin color. That kind of falls into the normal left right divide at some level. What you're talking about here is totally outside of that paradigm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it shows an inconvenience to the left's racial narrative. Um, the left likes to assert that whites are at the top and blacks and POC people are at the bottom. Um, but Asian Americans present an inconvenience to the narrative because although they are a minority and they've done historically, they've been historically discriminated against, uh, they actually do quite well um, academically. And the reason why is because they study twice as many hours as the average American. It has nothing to do with their race. But because Harvard does not want too many Asians on their campus, they actually actively discriminate against Asian Americans, making them the inconvenient minority. So Kenny, uh, you tweeted this and you, and you kind of referenced it a little bit earlier, that this lawsuit could be the end, the beginning of the end of wokeness in America. What do you mean by that? I mean this. So Go to your local DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion officer um, at your local Fortune 500 company or go to your local college admissions officer at your elite college, and they're going to have some sort of argument that goes like this. Well, we have to consider race in admissions and hiring and promotion because we need more so-called diversity. But what happens when... In order to get that diversity, you actually have to sacrifice admitting or hiring or promoting the most qualified candidate. Hmm. And what we see in this Harvard admissions case is that there are major, major detriments towards excluding Asian Americans because you're actually taking out the most qualified candidate and replacing it with a candidate uh, who is hired or admitted just based on a certain race. So if the Supreme Court rules in favor of the plaintiffs suing Harvard. This is the beginning of the end of the left's philosophy that puts race above merit. We should be returning back to the ideals of a colorblind meritocracy, of judging people solely on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. 
It's interesting, Kenny. You know, over the years, I think there's been people have said, of course, we agree. We should we should judge people on the content of the character, not the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. Of course, we're looking for a colorblind society. And there were groups of people who continued racism, even though they espoused that view. And there were groups of people who did other strange things when it came to race and politics, but continued to espouse that sort of MLK ideal. It's only recently, I feel like, that the left in particular has begun to reject the MLK ideal, to say that the colorblind ideal, while difficult to achieve for a society, is no longer even the ideal. It's not even the goal anymore. We should be aiming for something where race is emphasized more. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and we are thinking about race more often. Uh, th this just does not seem like the right direction. I don't know if I'm old timey on this one, but man, that just seems like everything in me tells me we should not be making more decisions based on skin color. Yeah, I mean, I look, I completely agree with you. As president of the group Color Us United, we advocate for a race-blind America. But that means that we have to take on the people who are dividing people in the basis of race. You know right now, Stu, there are actually orchestras. Uh, they used to have this thing called a blind audition system mm. where they don't look – all they do is hear your violin playing or your flute. They don't even look at you. It's impossible to discriminate against you. But then progressives got mad. You know why? Because too few black uh, Americans were admitted under this blind audition system. So they said, actually, no, we need to actually look at the candidate. We actually need to look at their race and admit the, uh, the, the a certain races for equity now. So we're actually going back into a racially viewed system. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, it was a system that was initially put in to stop racism, and now they're repealing it. We saw that with the California Constitution, the same way, where they went to pull out the idea that you could uh, not uh, discriminate uh, on base of yeah. race. Uh, these sorts of things have us going backwards, and I think it's also increasingly uh, adding to the division of the country. You know, I think we could all kind of unite in, in saying, hey, uh, the best candidate for the job. You know, you shouldn't judge someone and say, okay, well, I don't like that race and therefore they can't have this job even though they're most the most qualified. We've gone past that now and we're now punishing people for judging everyone equally. Exactly. This is why I hope the Asian Americans win their case against Harvard, against Harvard University. Uh, this is not just for Asian Americans. This is not just even about a few college admission spots. This is about... What kind of philosophy do you want to live under as a country, right? Do you want big institutions, elite institutions like Harvard or your Fortune 500 company to say, well, we would hire you, we would admit you, but the problem is there's too many people who look like you. Um, and so we're actually going to admit the person who looks different. Or are we going to, should we go to a philosophy of our country and of our world where we say, we're not going to look at your color at all. We're going to look solely at your merit your academic qualifications, your credentials, your character. I think that's the second option as a society that we want if we want to become a truly more just and fair society. And it seems like, Kenny, it, looking at this lawsuit in particular, there seems to be evidence that Harvard is making some of these judgments based on the personality of Asians generally. Like, they don't seem to like the personality of Asians. Is that actually in, I mean, they don't come out and admit that, I don't think, but it does seem like there's evidence that supports it. Oh, I mean, yes, this is, this is a key part of the case. Um, 
It's it's so Asian Americans they score the highest on academics, they score the highest on extracurriculars at Harvard, and they score the lowest on this thing that Harvard uses called a personality score. Now, what does a personality score mean? It means your likability, your friendliness, your ability to get along. And so Harvard admissions officers seem to view Asians as inherently inferior in these certain soft skills. But you ask, well, is there any objective evidence to suggest this? Well, actually, no. Asian Americans score the highest on alumni interviews, and they score the highest on teacher recommendations. So in terms of soft skills, Asians really do have it all. But Harvard is looking for a way to get Asians to uh, to put down Asians in their admissions process because they don't want their school to be 45% Asian, which is what would happen if they didn't discriminate against Asian Americans. Uh, that's remarkable. <laughs> They're basically using this category to exclude Asians, which is in- insane. Let me give you this. Yeah. Uh, l- let me give you one last one about just the general feeling of Americans. I, you know, we hear a lot of people. We see a lot of people on Twitter. We see a lot of people in the media who don't want the content of character to be in the forefront. They want the color of skin. We see a lot of people, the Ibram Kendis of the world and, and the, you know, all of these sort of woke um, intellectual uh, nonsense I feel like we've had over the past few years. They get a lot of attention. But what are the, um, what does the average American feel like? I mean, is the average American moved on from the Martin Luther King ideal or is it what they really still want? I'll tell you what the average American feels. 96% of Americans believe that it's perfectly all right to live next to somebody of a different race. 91% of Americans believe that it's okay to ask to have their daughter marry somebody of a different race. We live in an extraordinarily colorblind society, Stu. Mm. And actually those ratios are higher than any other country in the world. They really are. Go to a country like India. Go to a country like South America. Do these people want people living next to each other of different races? They actually don't. Those numbers are in the 60s and the 70s. America has actually succeeded at being a welcoming, tolerant country, but we have a group of ideologues now that are focused entirely on making America seem like a racist country, and it's false and it's wrong. Mm, I totally agree. I mean, whenever anyone says something like, uh, you know, America's a racist country, you always have to follow up with, as compared to what? I mean, as compared (laughs) to utopia, maybe that's true, but compared to any other nation on Earth or any nation in history, uh, there's a large line to be drawn, and I think we're on the right side of it. Uh, Kenny Hsu, he's the president of Color Us United and author of An Inconvenient Minority, The Attack on Asian American Excellence and the Fight for Meritocracy. Be sure to grab a copy today. Kenny, thanks so much. Hey, it's great being on here. Thank you. So Joe Biden, who, you know, people always call him an old man, but they also forget he's a grumpy old man. Uh, he's kind of a jerk. Uh, you know, kind of. we played a whole montage of his moments today on radio. You can go back and listen to that if you want. But there's a lot of times where this guy just loses it whenever he's asked a tough question. Now, I know he's a Democrat, so it's rare. But when you look over his career, which has been approximately 1,000 years, there's a lot of examples of this. Uh, this happened with Peter Ducey as Peter asked a question as he's walking away. And here's how Joe Biden reacted. That's a great asset. More inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. Now, everyone's talking about this because they're noting he said son of a bitch. And some people on the left are like, yeah, it was a dumb question. What do you mean? The question was basically, uh, is inflation going to be a liability in the campaign? 
Biden sort of sarcastically responded, no, it's a great asset, more inflation. What a stupid son of a bitch. So first of all, the, to defend Peter Ducey here for a second, you don't ask a question like that because you're unsure whether inflation is good or bad for the election campaign. You're not asking it for that reason. You're trying to get him to acknowledge that it exists. They've been saying it's transitory for the past year. And uh, you want to you're basically saying, like, hey, is this going to be a liability? Are you worried about it? You want him to address the issue generally. You're not looking for him to say, well, actually, I think it's wonderful. I mean, you know, so you ask a question like that, not because you don't know the answer to the specifics. You want him to address the issue. That's what you're going for in a situation like that. And, you know, like Joe Biden, I mean, that was a moment where, uh, you know, he he did that intentionally into the mic. It was not a hot mic caught on mic type of moment. He did it intentionally because he wants he the people he is surrounded by think it's good when he calls Fox News reporters names. You know, that's that's something he gets praised for behind the scenes, not not harassed about. Uh, so it's pretty consistent with who he is. But part of this is, too, is because he's he's a guy who. In 1972, ran for the Senate. 1972. That's before I was born. He ran for the Senate. And he became a senator before I was born. And he was a senator all the way up until 2008. And then he became vice president of the United States, got out of there, made a bunch of money in very shady business dealings. We'll get into that later on uh, this week. Uh, And then decided to run for president. And here's a guy who has been dreaming of this his entire life. His entire life has been built up to this four-year period where he finally is president and he finally achieves the dream that he wants so very badly. And it's going horribly. I mean, it, uh, we look at this because we care about the country. We care about ourselves, our families. We care about our fellow Americans. You know, but when you look at it from his perspective, he's been trying to do this one thing his whole life and he is falling flat on his face in, in front of the largest audience he will ever have. So what does that mean? He's frustrated. He's angry. And it's showing everywhere in his responses to reporters and to in the polling. A new uh, Harris poll shows uh, that Biden is only at 39 percent approval rating. That is the lowest ever shown in this particular poll. Uh, Dropping, 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 dropping. And things are going poorly. Everything's going poorly. Inflation, the border. Afghanistan was obviously a disaster. What's going on with Russia and Ukraine? His press conference about that the other day was really, really bad. He was going to shut down the virus famously. That has not occurred. There's a lot of stuff to pile up when it comes to failures. But there's another thing going on as well. Um, Shark attacks have risen after three years of decline, according to researchers. What has happened in the last year to change the situation? Why have sharks suddenly started to attack again? Joe Biden. Shark attacks were on the rise. Now that we can get out and travel, take a few vacations maybe, celebrate some of our favorite times by turning new memories into art. Yeah, you could do this. You get a professional hand-painted portrait created by any photo at a truly affordable price. Or you can combine photos of people or places you love into one painting. Uh, You can choose from a team of world-class artists and work with them 
uh, until every detail is absolutely perfect. They have a user-friendly platform that makes it easy to order a custom handmade, hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. Basically, you go into your phone, scroll through your photos. Where's a great picture of you and your kids or you and your grandkids or your family or, I don't know, you and your mistress. I don't know. It's up to you, really, I guess, whatever you pick. Um, And you go through there. You pick the picture. Uh, you get a picture in, in, in mind, and then you can look at just like a bunch of different paintings from different artists and see which style you like best, what's the best quality, which which is the one that you'd want in your home. And you select that artist, and then paintyourlife.com uh, is going to help you out and get a real painting done by that actual artist. It's really a cool thing. Paintyourlife.com, there is no risk. Uh, if you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, uh, as a limited time offer, you can get 20% off your painting. 20% off now with free shipping. To get that special offer, you got to text. You got to text the word stew to 64,000. Text stew to the number 64,000 now. Terms apply. Uh, you're available at paintyourlife.com. But you get that uh, discount if you text the word stew to the number 64,000. Check it out. Paintyourlife.com. Thank you for watching the show. We do appreciate it. It's growing all the time, and that's because you decide to show up here every day. We don't understand why. No one understands why, but we do appreciate that you do it. Anyway, and you can review the show on podcast. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. Click subscribe, even if you don't get over there every day. You know, it's fine. Just click subscribe, rate and review. Whatever you do, we do appreciate it. This one comes in, and I always say, like, hey, don't worry about writing a, uh, an extensive review for you. Just give me the stars. You know what I mean? You, you can write, it's great. Whatever. It's fine. Uh, this guy took it to an extreme. Um, why and I still writing this review? Whatever. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It didn't make any sense, but I do appreciate it. They're going to think you're a bot, I think, with that particular review. Uh, YouTube um, and Facebook, you can check out the show as well and comment as we do it. Uh, Kevin writes, best division games probably ever. Great weekend of football. It was a great freaking weekend of football. For all you people that have the uh, internal fortitude to boycott this fantastic sport, man, I guess I'd give you credit. I, I got no. It's like me you know, boycotting fries. That's just not going to happen. Uh, Susan writes, love your show. You work so hard, 59 stars. Soon I will work hard enough to get that 60th star, that I promise you. And Caleb writes, too, three years ago, Clark Hunt, the Chiefs owner, proposed OT rules that change, uh, changes after Patrick Mahomes didn't get a chance with the ball in OT of the AFC Championship game against Tom Brady. He was voted down. And thankfully for Patrick Mahomes, he's probably uh, thankful that happened, uh, that he was voted down this year. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it really, really do need a change to these rules. Everyone seems to be on board with, what the, with a change. What will the change be, however? Somehow I kind of picture them getting dumber. I don't know if that's possible, but I kind of feel like now, like, they'll just, I don't know, everyone has to play and run backwards in overtime, and we'll decide things that way. I don't know what the rule's going to be. Something dumber, though, is probably around the corner. Okay, so here's what happened. This is an amazing one. <laughs> you remember the movie Fight Club? Uh, it came out in late, uh, nine, late 90s, like 99 came out. And, you know, it's got Brad Pitt, and he's, you know, Ty- the whole Tyler Durden thing, and he's got uh, this alter ego, and it goes through this whole thing where they beat up each other. But eventually, you kind of figure out, he's essentially a terrorist, right? And he's going to blow up all the financial buildings and take down the economy because I think capitalism is bad, or I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's the plot of every movie. Uh, capitalism is bad as they rake in the millions. Uh, but the, the last scene of the movie ends with all of these financial buildings coming to, a ground, to the ground. He's taking out civilization. He's taking out the man, the government, the financial establishment. 
Um, so if you remember the scene, and here's a quick uh, screen cap of it. You, you know, it's a, I mean, it's a beautifully shot movie, and you kind of see these buildings coming down in front of them. Well, if you happen to be in China, things look a little different. As the scene happens and the, uh, the, the buildings are about to come down, instead of watching the buildings come down, you get this message on the screen. This is real. It says, through the clue provided by Tyler, the police rapidly figured out the whole plan and arrested all criminals, successfully preventing the bomb from exploding. After the trial, Tyler was sent to the lunatic asylum, receiving psychological treatment. He was discharged from the hospital in 2012. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, we actually have some really good stuff coming up on uh, the, the influence of China uh, on, on Hollywood uh, in the coming weeks. And don't forget uh, the influence of China on our White House. Oh, you should get your Hunter Biden laptop case right now, actually. Uh, HunterBidenLaptopCase.com. HunterBidenLaptopCase.com. We will see you tomorrow.